You're listening to the Digital Hammurabi podcast, where we bring the ivory tower of academia to you, because we believe that ancient history is for everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Digital Hammurabi. In case you've not been with us before, my name is Megan Lewis, and I will be your host today. And I am talking to Heba Abd al-Gawad, who is an Egyptian Egyptologist working in the United Kingdom. She's a PhD student at Durham University and is currently stationed in um, London at the University College, working on a project called Egypt's Dispersed Heritage, which I think sounds fascinating. So Heba, hello. Welcome. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, lovely to meet you too. Like, lovely to talk to you as well. <laughs> Would you mind just giving us a bit of background about yourself and, and how you got into the field? It is a long story, but <laughs> but I can I can make it short for you. So I think that you you might think that being an Egyptian can make you easily fascinated about ancient Egypt and archaeology and everything, but it's not the case because of the current let's say um, economical and social conditions. Maybe archaeology wouldn't be the best route that people tend to go to, and that. Maybe I did fail my parents' aspiration by becoming an Egyptologist, especially my dad, <laughs> was so keen on me becoming like a doctor like himself, and I didn't. Uh, so that that is part that the failure part. <laughs> no, but I think I've been always fascinated. Obviously, growing up being an Egyptian and growing up in Egypt myself, but there there was something that I was usually like. Not, I wouldn't say concerned, but that usually fascinated me is like just what happened, what mm-hmm. went wrong, because we're usually kept on being told about the past and the glorious past that Egypt had. And sometimes, given the modern times and looking around you, you would, you would wonder like, because of how so much uh, glorious uh, the history is being told in terms of obviously only the pharaohs and the elite, you never get to know about the miseries that the ancient Egyptians had, those who were the ordinary people, mm-hmm. you, you never get told about them. So you would think that this was all like glory and no grim at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, so growing up in modern Egypt, it made me always think like, so like, what happened? Why, why, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And I was interested to know that like obviously the pride or being proud of how like there is a whole field of science that is based on your country mm-hmm. only to realize that it's only based on the ancient side of my country not the full span of yeah. its history so i think that this was this was mainly my motivation for getting into egyptology and luckily the degree as it's taught in egypt uh, we get taught the full the full span of egypt's history rather than the uh, like how it's taught uh, in the Western scholarly tradition, so yeah, <laughs> you start and end with the pharaohs, and then there's nothing else. Yeah, after that's that. it. And yeah. then, and then, yes, once Alexander the Great stepped in, Egyptology stepped out. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. Um, and um, I actually initially contacted you because I saw um, an article about an exhibition you curated at the Petrie Museum, which was called uh, "Listen to Her," I think, which was yes. taking um, Egyptian modern Egyptian women. Um, and kind of juxtaposing their experience with ancient artifacts, which seems very much to speak to what you're talking about. The yeah. fact that there's this, this seems to be this massive disconnect between the ancient history and, and modern life. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that particular project? Yes, that is, um, again, another frustration. <laughs> it's all frustrations. <laughs> in my career. No, but uh, I don't know. I feel that Whenever I'm, I'm, whenever I'm inside an ancient Egyptian gallery, I feel like um, nothing in it talks to me or I feel disconnected myself. Mm-hmm. It's not the image of ancient Egypt that I have in my head or the perception or the meaning of ancient Egypt that I have. And obviously there is this uh, assumption, the disconnection 
or at least the isolation that the study of ancient Egypt, the Western fascination by ancient Egypt or how ancient Egypt was set up, let's say, in modern scholarship and in modern like uh, minds, let's mm. say, even for the public. It has nothing to do with modern Egypt. It's uh, a fantasy. It's, mm-hmm. it's a concept rather than a culture that obviously goes through waves of change and multi-layered and it shouldn't stay untouched. But the image that you get from visiting an ancient gallery that first of all, you would you'd go that ancient Egypt, it wouldn't be in the gallery for Africa. It wouldn't be in the gallery for the Near East. It's just, it's a gallery by it's itself. By itself right? It's isolated. Mm-hmm. It's often by itself. And I think that this is also a very distorted image of what Egypt makes. And it makes us modern Egyptians and the other layers of Egyptian history totally invisible, totally irrelevant to the world. Mm -hmm. So it's only Egypt that is relevant to human history, but ancient, the ancient Mm -hmm. past. Let's say Coptic Egypt is not very much relevant to human history or Islamic Egypt is not, or Islamic history in general or Christianity in general, or even the medieval history of Egypt is not relevant to the world. It's a very exclusive way of looking at things. And there is a wave of the rise of women history today and looking into women history in the way of like bringing justice mm-hmm. back to uh, to women, like giving them more voice. But I find it also biased in the sense that there is so much focus on Western women history that that's to begin with. Yeah. There is also so much focus on elite women, on those women who like broke the glass ceiling, those who like the Nobel laureates, those mm-hmm. who had massive activism that like uh, something that she can't miss. This is a very, again, Western view of how pioneering history should be. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, it's the millions of ordinary people that actually make the history in the end. Mm-hmm. It's their own struggle and activism. So I was invited by the Pichi Museum of Archaeology, if I can guest create an exhibition on women mm-hmm. uh, in, in modern Egypt and try to make some sort of like... Uh, not a provocative to provoke, yes, like to provoke the audiences or the visitors to the Pichi of the Egyptian museum to see Egypt or Egyptian women from a different lens. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this was uh, interesting, particularly that that came together with the Me Too movement. And we've got a very long history in Egyptian activism against sexual harassment that mm-hmm. uh, never gets mentioned in the West. And we had our yeah. own movement in 2012 where Egyptian women by the millions were taking up the streets, but nowhere are they referred to when we make like, let's say a timeline of female activism, nowhere would Egyptian and Middle Eastern women activism be mentioned in, in the world perception. And also I think that while like perhaps feminism or like the problems that are facing uh, women are universal, but I think that the way to solve them should be at least very local and very personal to them. And at times there is also the stereotypes, the stigmas of someone like myself being veiled, how like immediately when someone sees me would think I'm oppressed or whatever and would deny me the choice of uh, of defending my own personal choice or defending myself because of how there is also another Western view of how a feminist or an activist should look like or should believe in, let's mm-hmm. say. So it, it was mainly coming again from my own personal frustration with all the stories that I wish that are told in a museum and I think that should be told mm-hmm. in a museum. And uh, through six stories of like personal and also collective women, uh, I tried, there were like panels on the walls to bring more of uh, the struggles of Egyptian women and their own very particular individual way of activism. But also there was a very uh, nice reminder of the millions of Egyptians who are still in Egypt, but who museums in the West are still responsible to and have to make some sort of like special relationship with. So we had like nine objects where I spoke with 10 Egyptian women and somewhere 
actually in the UK and others were in Egypt itself. But it was done very casually just through WhatsApp and mm -hmm. emails and face-to-face -face interaction just to show museums that if you want, you can really do it. It can be easily done mm -hmm. because sometimes there is like the perception that uh, you can't have access to these communities. They have no interest or they, they are never in the museum, but just to show that it's easy. But one of the things that I was, again, trying to, to work around is how archaeology is not only about like interpretations, uh, like the scientific interpretation of what an object purpose was, but it's also the emotional side of an object. How, how would you feel once you immediately are in the presence of an ancient Egyptian object if you are Egyptian? So we got nine objects that we believe Logically, that they have some female connotations. Mm -hmm. And I just showed them, I shared the pictures with the women like that I was working with. Just asked them, how, how do you feel about these? What, what do you want to say? Just mm -hmm. freely. Like, I don't even, because usually there is also the perception whenever you invite source communities for consultations or for some sort of focus groups, you tend to rely on how we need to have their traditional knowledge. Like it's again, a very Western way of seeing mm -hmm. things because immediately an object doesn't have to reference knowledge as much as it also provokes emotions. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way a source community or someone who believes that this is part of their own being, their own history, feel about an object, I think, and I believe is different than someone who doesn't have this emotional link with the objects can can have. I'm not saying that being not a source community, you don't relate emotionally to objects, you do. But it's a different type of emotion. And I was really interested in bringing this up. That's fantastic. Thank you. Do you see more of an effort by museums to engage with source communities? Or do you think it's still very much something that is considered too difficult, too expensive or, or just not worthwhile? I think the problem is there is a focus, there is a misconception of what counts as source communities or what counts as communities that we have to connect with when it comes to defining which collections belong to which communities. Mm -hmm. So there is usually the perception that if it's uh, what the museum tends to, to define or the Western conception of uh, typology or labeling, anthropological collections or ethnographic collections, they are they are the ones that the museum feels that they are more under pressure of connecting with the source communities. But archaeological collections, let's say, coming from particularly Egypt and the Near and Middle East, because of, again, the perception that we are not perceived as source communities, museums don't feel that they are obliged to make any connections with mm -hmm. us because they don't believe that we have this source link, that we are the source mm -hmm. uh, or that we are indigenous. And this is, again, part of the bias uh, towards the Near and Middle East in general, not particularly Egypt. I don't have a, a lot of experience with this, but the sense I get from Assyriology is, is similar. Not necessarily all Assyriologists, but there seems to be, especially in older scholarship, an understanding yeah. that actually the people who produced the artifacts that we have in Western museums are very different and separate from the people who currently inhabit that geographical exactly. landscape. Um, and, exactly. and looking, especially on Twitter at the moment with the, the political situation in Iraq, it's very obvious that the people living there do not feel that disconnect that we of in the West have imposed on them. Um, because you see fantastic artworks and people really drawing on their cultural history that we've kind of appropriated and using it to draw strength and to express themselves and express how they feel about their modern political situation um, y using their own historical cultural um, heritage. It's, it's 
fascinating and I really want to find someone, an Iraqi, to talk to about that. So if anyone's watching and would like to come and talk to me, please do. Uh, <laughs> I can recommend a few names for you. <laughs> Wonderful. I will talk to you when we're done. <laughs> can you give us a bit of information about your PhD projects? Uh, well, that's, it has nothing to do with museums. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I'm working... Well, it, it has to do with politics as well. And me coming from, from the Middle East, like, or from Egypt, you can't escape politics. It's just you, something you grow, you grow yeah. up thinking about like politics and the way politics, politicians work. Uh, I'm working on the, the Ptolemies, interestingly, mm -hmm. again, the Greeks when they were ruling Egypt. And that reminds me of also on the biases that when someone asked me, what are you working on? And so I would say like on the, the Ptolemies or when the Greeks were ruling Egypt and then people would respond saying, what are you Egyptian? Why are you, why are you working on the Greeks? So it's again, mm -hmm. this, this misconception. But I'm working on the self-presentation of the Ptolemies, the Greek kings, using uh, the second king as a case study mm -hmm. on how they presented themselves to their various audiences and how uh, the royal image that they've created was some sort of uh, a soft power, was how they managed to win hearts and minds in Egypt and abroad. Political communication in yeah. the past, let's say. Yeah. That's very interesting. So uh, do they are they appropriating Egyptian like visual yes. iconography then? Yeah, yeah, they they were they were, and I I have to say because it's part of the job of a pharaoh, so I don't know if the right terminology would be that they were appreciating. Mm -hmm. I think they were more performing their job, and it's not just them; it's not distinctive to them. That's what any clever foreign ruler would do. Mm -hmm. Like he he would perform the role he because he would have to convince his audiences that he is the actual. He's not foreign. Mm -hmm. He he is like a native. Uh, an equally native ruler, a local uh, to them. So they were doing like the Romans were doing later. That's what everyone would do. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Thank you. Um, what are you going to be doing at UCL with, with the new project? So the new project is with uh, Alice Stevenson. She's uh, the principal investigator for the project. And it's a follow on from the Artifacts of Excavations uh, project. And that was a very interesting research project looking into The, the collection and distribution of find by British archaeologists or like British archaeology in general between 1880 until 1980. Mm. So the involvement of British archaeologists, explorers, collectors in Egypt and uh, how they were excavating and then collecting material, sending it back to the UK or distributing it around the world. And the findings are really fascinating to the extent of how like this is perceived like the British involvement in Egypt could be like uh, one of the uh, unmatched in the world the amount of objects that was i would say ex excavated and then exported uh, in the uk and outside of the uk and they involved one of the greatest endeavors in the history of archaeological practice i don't know if greatest here is used i would use it in the sense with a positive connotation but i mean from the sheer amount just of, the, the volume yeah, yeah 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 the volume of how and what they managed to collect and disperse uh, around the world mm -hmm. There is a very interesting book about Alice's book, which sums up all the findings. It's called Scattered Find, and mm -hmm. it's open access as well. So if any of... Excellent. Yeah. I'm so it's to... available for everyone. Did you want to talk about your podcast plans? Yes, and it is part of the Egypt's Dispersed Heritage Project. Fantastic. Perhaps it's interesting. I, I would like to talk a bit about it because I think it's interesting and because we're looking more into creating a public dialogue between like Egyptians and the world who is fascinated by ancient Egypt. So maybe some of the your viewers or your listeners sure would be they interested would, yeah. in joining us. So the, the concept is also one of the setbacks of the current decolonization movement that, first of all, it totally alienates Egyptian galleries or Egyptian collections from the current 
tide or movement of decolonialism, uh, but it also alienates source communities and the focus on repatriation, while it's absolutely rightist and everything, but it tends to ignore the emotional impact of such legacies. How do the Egyptians today, let's say, feel about having their objects dispersed around the world? How did they feel then when the objects were actually being excavated and dispersed in, during the, the colonial times? Mm -hmm. And how do they feel today? And what impact does this emotional legacy have on how they feel towards Western museums? on the bigger picture, on international relations and public diplomacy. What can we all do to identify how we can all come to terms with this history? And I don't think that the museums, if they are really into decolonizing museums meaningfully and in a way that actually brings the social justice, the, the concept of decolonialism uh, is after. This has to be done in total, meaningful, full partnership with source communities, whether the ones who live in the West or the ones who live in Egypt. And we thought that with the data that, that we've gathered, that the artifacts of excavations has been gathered, Part of decolonizing is not only sharing knowledge, but it's also sharing power. So you give back the findings to the people who also trying to make the remark that even any research that is produced concerning a certain culture, we should always find a way bringing it back to the community that it belongs to and, and let them at their own time and their own ways uh, use it in a way that could be beneficial or meaningful for them. So we're working with uh, two community schools in Egypt, one called Tawassul and one called Educate Me. And we're taking these stories back to these school communities, discussing with them how they can make the best use of it, how we can include those stories in the Egyptian curricula, how we can use it to build uh, social inclusion within Egypt itself, if this sense of pride would help these community schools, because they are two community schools that come from two very deprived neighborhoods in Egypt itself. So it's a way of how even knowledge can make difference to people's lives, not just into how they perceive the past, and also finding ways of how we can redisplay ancient Egypt in a way that is relevant to modern Egypt. So we're working with uh, Mahatot, another social enterprise that makes art accessible to everyone. So we're using Egyptian street performances, Egyptian storytelling, and working with Egyptian artists into how we can retell the stories in a way that evokes Egyptian uh, emotions, mm -hmm. that that acknowledges also or recognizes the feelings that perhaps colonial archaeological practices uh, might have uh, evoked within Egyptian communities then and today. Mm -hmm. And we will be uh, we will be also working with comic artists into because comic art has uh, it has always existed in Egypt, but recent more recently, especially after the 2011 events, there has been a revival in comic arts. And we're using this opportunity to create comics mm -hmm. that are Egyptian uh, and that also narrate the colonial history of the Egyptian collections in Egypt and outside Egypt as well. So it's a way of helping to find how if we are really honest about decolonizing collections, it has to be done by and in and for the source communities, mm -hmm. rather than being dominated by the museums in absolute isolation from uh, the source communities and how do they feel about this whole process. That sounds like an amazing and huge project. Well, it's a, just a starting point. It's just a trial and experimental. Yeah. And hopefully, if we'll see how it goes, we're mm -hmm. leaving it all organic because it's meant to be the people are at the heart of it. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, it can be turned into something bigger in the future. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Do you have a, like a, a date for when things will be publicly available online? Uh, we, we are working on our website. Mm -hmm. So you can follow us on Twitter. And perhaps by the end of this year, we would start to be more active on social media and more active on the website. We've already, we're already talking to artists and we're working on the outputs now. And we are meant to be starting uh, our activities in Egypt 
because the project is based in Egypt from January and we will have an event in the Museum of uh, the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh mm-hmm. on the 18th of February and uh, do follow it <laughs> if we manage to have a podcast out of that so please do follow it and give us your views as well wonderful thank you that I'm I'm excited that really sounds immensely valuable and absolutely fascinating thank you so much of course If you found this interview interesting, relevant links can be found in the description below. If you're new to Digital Hammurabi, please do check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Digital Hammurabi. We can also be found on Twitter at digi underscore Hammurabi and comments or questions can be sent to digitalhammurabi at gmail.com. If you enjoy our content and would like to support us, please consider becoming a patron. Our Patreon page can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash digital Remember, until next time, resist poor scholarship. Always ask, how do you know that? <laughs> <laughs>